the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have any money questions for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. Well, the last uh, few weeks has been a lesson on why you don't try to time the market. Uh, I mean, let's just, just talk about where we are for the year so far right now. Um, if we look at uh, performance from least worst to the to the worst on some of the major indexes, let's talk bonds first of all. Bonds improved greatly. I mean, for the quarter, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is up 3.32%. So rates have actually come down a little bit in the last few weeks. Um, so it's been a quite a rally in bonds, but the AG, the AGG ETF total return includes dividends uh, is down eleven and a half percent. International developed, if we look at EFA ETF, is down eleven point nine two percent. The Russell two thousand mid cap index is down twelve point four six percent. S&P 500 down 13.2% for the year. And by the way, if podcast listeners are doing the show right now on December 2nd before the market opens. So it's, these are really numbers through the 1st of December. We've got a whole month left of the year here. The Russell 2000 down 15%. That's a small and mid-cap index. The Emerging Market Index, EEM, ETF is down 18.66%. And QQQ, if we kind of look out and carve out more of a textile index, is down 258 percent for the year. Quite a rally. So what what happened for the quarter? Well, if we look at the NASDAQ, the QQQ is up 9.9%. Emerging markets up 13% in the last quarter. Uh, And when I say last quarter, it's the start of this current quarter that we're in, the fourth quarter. So really, these are two-month returns here. The S&P 500 in the last two months is up 14%. The Russell mid-cap index is up 15.6%. International developed up 21% in the last two months, essentially. So it's a lesson because when we hit that low, which was, you know, one point down nearly 25% on the S&P 500, that's when the news is worse. And guess what? You have these bounce backs. Now, if you listen to Bloomberg, CNBC, whatever, I mean, most people are saying about the same thing. We expect... Uh, at this point, it's looking like a mild recession. We expect potential downside risk to earnings continuing. 
So the news is going to get worse before it gets better because there's a ton of layoffs and things like that going on right now. And that's not going to flow through to the economy in terms of I no longer have a salary. I'm not going to target TJ Maxx, you know, things like that. Um, I, I'm, I'm now going to buckle down and try to find a new job and go on unemployment for a while. And, and, and you're starting to see the real estate market stall out as far as home building and things like that. And so that'll all come into earnings reports next quarter, the quarter after and the quarter after that. So it's kind of one of these things where it's like the most published, <laughs> hey, we're going to likely have a recession and hey, the news is likely going to get worse. Uh, it, it's That tends to tell me that everybody's thinking the same thing, so the same thing's not going to happen. But but look, I mean, it's it's a good time to make sure your portfolio is balanced properly. Trim some of the winners out there, which might be some for the year, maybe some healthcare stocks and, and energy stocks and commodities. And rebalance, make sure if you're retired, you have a couple of years worth of portfolio draws in safe money and cash. And that could be online FDIC insured banks paying three and a half to 3.75%. You've got the ability to buy six and 12 months notes, T notes from the, the government at treasurydirect.gov for over 4% at this point. And I want to remind people, even though if we look at the S&P 500 for the year, it's down 13.2%. Um, the Russell 2000 for the year is down 15%. That's a small and mid-cap index. If we look at this on a, a three-year total return, if we look back from today to three years back, the S&P 500 is still up 36%. The Russell 2000 is up almost 20%. And the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, though, is down about 6.65% over the last three years. Interest rates got too low. And this year, this return in the bond market has taken away about four years worth of returns in bonds, essentially. The yield curve is still inverted. And that typically comes along with uh, the idea that a recession is around the corner. And what the inverted means, it means that if you're lending money to the government, they're going to pay you more on a two-year note or two-year bond than a 10-year bond. The 10-year U.S. Treasury is yielding about 3.68%. The two-year is at 4.38%. So you can get a decent rate of return on safe money for the first time since like 06. And so now you're seeing that situation where, okay, bonds were now a competitor to stocks at the higher rates. And that's why people locked in a lot of these bond prices, especially, you know, in the Corporate side, one to eight years, you're buying bonds at a discount. Um, on like California municipals, you're buying bonds at a bit of a premium, but the rates are pretty good. And if you're trying to put cash to work and you're retired and you want bonds, this is one of the best times I've seen, like I've said, since 2006 to do a laddered bond portfolio. Where if you're doing, let's say, California tax-free municipals, you could do a 10-year ladder bond portfolio, which means every year you have about 10% of the amount of money that you invested coming due that you can spend or reinvest in more bonds or stocks if the market drops. But instead of a mutual fund where you're just you know, subject to the net asset value going up and down based on interest rates, a laddered bond portfolio gives you a certain amount of income that you can depend on 
every year for the next 10 years. On the corporate side on individual bonds, I like kind of the one to five year type of a ladder where you dependable cash flow for the next five years. That So there's some pretty good opportunities in bonds still. And stocks are always a really good opportunity in the long run. I mean, if you look at what you can get now in terms of dividend yield on certain areas of the market, you've, you've got to realize that timing the market, if you have a taxable account, if you cash in and you try to go to cash, because like, oh, I hear everybody talking about Oh, we could retest the lows again next year. So I'm going to go to cash. Well, in a taxable account, you're going to pay taxes. If you look at a balanced portfolio, you're yielding somewhere between two and a half to 3.75% of dividends and interest that come into your portfolio. Because most of your stocks, and especially in the large cap space, pay dividends on a quarterly basis. That's a return of profit to the shareholder. That's passive income. And then bonds pay interest. And as soon as you go to cash, you lose out on that income. And when you're building wealth, that's huge. You reinvest those dividends and interest into your portfolio to buy more shares after they've declined. And you're retired, that supports your bank account. It supports your cash flow. It's passive income. As soon as you go to cash, you lose out on the dividends and interest. And then you've got to guess the right time to get back in. And guess what? The right time to get back in, the best trading days always come when the news is the worst. So like I mentioned, S&P 500 over the last two months, so this quarter to date as of December 1st numbers is up 14%. And that's when, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people decided to cash in. So the way you set up your portfolio properly, right? The way you set it up properly is to make sure that you, number one, have it set up so you're not going to panic out. And number two, when you're retired, you make sure that between your cash on hand and your dividends and interest and Social Security and other passive income, you make sure that you have enough cash that that dividends and interest plus that cash will last five to seven years. And then you can make it through those corrections that occur. And so it's, it's, you've got to do that five years prior to retirement. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. I want to talk a little bit about year-end tax loss harvesting and what that means. I mean, first of all, when you set up a portfolio, once you start having a large amount of assets and you're investing outside of retirement accounts, right? Because you want to max out your 401k or Roth IRAs and things like that. But then you also want to be able to invest outside of retirement accounts. You have access to money. Um, And typically when this happens, it's later at life. People get their kids through college. And they focus on their financial plan. They realize they have to save more than what they're doing in their 401k and they start adding to their accounts. Or for some people, their RSUs are vesting and they're buying stock of their company through employee stock purchase program. You have to think about your portfolio very tax efficiently. In the ideal world, you get US large cap based companies and California tax free bonds if you're in California or just tax-free municipals if you're in other states like 
uh, Nevada and Washington. And then the rest of your asset classes, small cap, international, commodities, REITs, and all that kind of stuff in your retirement account. So you can be very tax efficient. But at the end of the year, or during any correction, you say, okay, what does my portfolio look like? What are my unrealized gains and losses? And one of the things you want to do is what's called tax loss harvesting. So if you bought stuff in your taxable accounts, your non-retirement accounts, and it's showing a decent sized loss, you can sell that. And there's two ways to do it. You can either sell that position and buy something else that's similar. It can't be the same. You cannot, if you, if you bought SPY, which is the S&P 500 index ETF, you can't sell that for a loss and then go buy IVV, which is still the S&P 500. You have to buy something different. Maybe, maybe you know more of a blend or some sort of different ETF. Um, and I'm going to talk about ETFs versus mutual funds here in a little bit. But the idea here is that you, if if you know you're you need a loss to offset other capital gains from selling other stock or real estate or your business, you look into your account and say, okay, I've got positions that are showing losses. I can either sell it and stay out of it for at least 30 days before I buy back in. Or I can sell that position by something similar if I want to stay in the market and not try to time the market and then sell that in 31 days and go back to my other position. Either way, it's good to harvest your losses. The way that it works is if, let's say, you are harvesting losses because you have other gains and you have a capital gain from selling other stock or real estate that you've held Let's say you have capital gains of $10,000, but you're looking at your portfolio and you realize that you could say, hey, I've got $20,000 of losses that I can take. Those losses that you take in your portfolio and your taxable accounts can offset that capital gain from selling real estate, for example. And so the first $10,000 is used up against that real estate that has a gain. And the next $10,000, you can use $3,000 against your ordinary income and carry the rest forward indefinitely on your tax return until you use it up. So if you know you're going to have more capital gains in the future from selling stuff, then it's a good idea to harvest those losses and create that kind of bank account with the IRS. So it's called tax loss harvesting. And we do that you know, all year long, several rounds of that this year in a down market, that's where you can use, you can actually use the market decline to your benefit. If you know you have other things that are occurring in life now or in the future, you can kind of think about as a, Hey, I'm going to get somewhere between 15 and 20 cents back of this loss at some point from the IRS, 15 to to 23.8% back in capital gains, tax savings, either this year or in the future. And then whatever your state rate is on top of that. So that's important to think about. The other thing is say, well, you might not have really any capital gains this year. But guess what? Even though the stock market is down, you're going to see if you own mutual funds and even ETFs, especially international ETFs and value funds, small cap international and value funds, If you own those ETFs or mutual funds, a lot of them, even though they're down, are still going to pay out what's called a capital gains distribution this month. And what happens is is they've sold things inside of the fund during the year 
at a gain. And so they distribute that gain out to shareholders. And so what happens is when that gain is distributed out, you see the share price drop, you see this dividend come in to buy more shares in your mutual fund. And essentially, you don't receive anything except a tax bill at the end of the year on your 1099 that you get from that fund. And so even though you may not need losses because you're looking at your portfolio, I don't have gains because the market's down, you might want to avoid those funds. You've got to look at your mutual funds, especially if you own them in a taxable account, say, is anything going to pay out these capital just gain distributions? And should I be avoiding those? And the culprits this year, even though the market's down, are going to be small cap funds, uh, international funds, and certain value funds, especially. But you got to look at everything in your portfolio. So individual stocks, that's not an issue. You just make the determination, do you want to do a tax loss on it or not? Buy something else. Like you could sell an individual stock. And if you want to stay in the market, you can find an ETF that holds a large position in that individual stock and hide out in that for 30 days. Or you go back to your individual stock. Now, I want to talk about, I I mentioned ETFs and funds. And sometimes in this business, there's just so much lingo. And I forget that people might not necessarily know the difference. So let's talk about this for a minute. because. The most common way people invest in stocks and bonds is through their 401k, which holds mutual funds. And mutual funds, all you're doing is you're putting your money into a pool where there's a manager or a team of managers that are deciding what to buy and sell on a daily basis. And mutual funds, the way that they work is that no matter what time of the day you buy or sell, your trade is going to happen at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they figure out the total value of the fund divided by the number of shares, and that's the, the what's called the net asset value or the share price of that mutual fund. So it prices one time per day. There's a certain number of units of that fund. Okay. Now, ETFs, they are still a basket of stocks, an exchange-traded fund. It's, ex- it's a basket of stocks. So you're putting your money essentially into a pool, but and usually they track some sort of an index like the S&P 500. That's SPY, IVV, VOO. Those are all ways to invest directly in the S&P 500 index. Some of them now are actively managed. Either way, it's still a pool of stocks or bonds when you buy an ETF. But ETFs tend to be better for taxable accounts. And the reason why is they uh, an ETF accommodates investment inflows and outflows by creating or redeeming creation units, which are a basket of assets assets that, approx- that, that really mirror the, what's inside the ETF exposure. So long story short, instead of like a mutual fund that has to constantly rebalance the fund by selling securities, an ETF can create shares on the fly and redeem shares on the fly, and they're more tax efficient in most cases. There's a few exceptions to the rule. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. 
This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. So a little bit more on mutual funds and ETFs. The idea here is that uh, ETFs tend to be a better choice for taxable accounts. And what you're finding, I mean, if you look at companies like Dimensional Funds, also known as DFA, um, T. Rowe Price, a lot of uh, mutual funds are shifting into ETFs. So mutual funds are going to end up somewhat of a, a thing of the past because the way that ETFs are created and the way that they are able to essentially create and and release shares on the fly they can be tax more tax efficient so this is going to be one of those years and we don't see a lot of these years where the market is down and certain mutual funds are going to cause a tax bill for people that didn't sell any shares to live off of them that's frustrating for people that happened a lot in like 1999 and 2000 where there was a lot of tech stock buying and then a lot of people started selling stuff in the market correction in 1999, 2000, 2001. And so mutual fund managers were selling stuff inside the fund that they, they've owned for years. And people were looking at their statements. Well, my statement is down, but I have a tax bill. This is horrible, right? It doesn't feel good. <laughs> so um, the that problem doesn't entirely go away with an ETF, exchange-traded fund. But it, it's much more manageable because of the way that they are created, the way that they're structured. Now, some exceptions to those rules, international ETFs, particularly emerging market ETFs, uh, they are not, uh, many emerging markets are restricted from performing in-kind delivery of securities, which is what happens in an ETF to make it more tax efficient. So, Emerging market ETFs might have to actually sell securities to raise cash for redemptions. All right. So that's a one reason why when you're structuring your portfolios and you know you need to have all the asset classes, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, emerging markets, commodities, real estate, um, you have tax free bonds, you have corporate bonds. You want to pay attention to where you're buying this stuff. So as I've said before, when you start to have assets outside of your retirement accounts, you try to focus those outside assets, the the non-retirement account assets, in U.S. large cap-based companies or ETFs, tax-free bonds. And then the rest of the asset classes, small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets, you try to buy that stuff in your retirement accounts. So that when you look at the pie chart, everything together You've, your asset allocation is correct. So if you're a person that's trying to say, okay, I'm trying to build the proper portfolio for my retirement and investing in my retirement accounts and outside of my retirement accounts, then you might be focusing on adding to large cap stocks and ETFs in your taxable account. Whereas inside your 401k, you might be focusing on small cap, mid cap, international emerging market contributions. So hope that makes sense. 
And part of your year-end planning when you're looking at your portfolio, should I do the tax loss harvesting? Should I rebalance my portfolio? What's up this year? Well, the majority of what's up is going to be commodities and energy stocks and certain healthcare stocks. Um, and so some people might need to trim those and, and buy other assets. So as you restructure your portfolio, you're doing your tax loss harvesting, that's when you look at the structure of your portfolio, your asset location, not just asset allocation, but your asset location. Now is the time to fix that as you're going into a new year and a new tax situation. And so you focus on that overall portfolio structure. There's been studies that showed from Morningstar that the average investor loses 15% of the return because of taxes. And so one huge way that you can save a heck of a lot more money is tax-efficient investing, which is asset location. I hope that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about year-end planning. And this is why you might have noticed that uh, I haven't done as many shows as I usually do. It's been a very, very busy year. So one of the, you know, part of that is because of tax planning opportunities that come with a down market, not only rebalancing and buying opportunities that come with a down market, but also tax planning. So this is the most IRA to Roth conversions that I've done in the almost 28 and a half years that I've been doing this. And uh, so your year-end planning, if you are retired, has to include Roth conversion analysis. Look, there's a lot of people out there paying investment advisors or planners one and a half to 2% on portfolios. Just, you know, basic pie chart portfolios. Here's your mix of stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and, and they, they concentrate on reviewing the portfolio on a quarterly basis and they don't do this other type of planning. Guys, I'm telling you, I've done this for a long time and the investing side is about the easiest side of our business. Fixed income is a little bit different, but in terms of stocks and portfolios and trading and keeping portfolios in risk tolerance because of software, because of technology, it's so much easier. When I first got into the business, in order to pick mutual funds, I would have to wait for the Morningstar catalog to come on a quarterly basis. And I'm thumbing through this, what looked like a, a newspaper article booklet of mutual funds. What were they holding? What were the returns? And now that's all at the fingertips. I mean, I can run and track portfolios, model scenarios, and do all this stuff so quickly with technology. But it's the tax planning, the asset allocation, tax strategies, modeling the sales of different assets like real estate and businesses and estate planning, all of this other stuff that you should be getting out of your financial relationship. And so you should be paying 1% or less and getting all of those types of uh, services on top of that. If you're not, you just shoot me an email. So um, chat at chadburton.com. So your year-end planning really needs to include Roth conversion analysis if you are retired, especially those that are retired, but also under the age of 72. The reason why I say that is because at the age of 72, you have to take required minimum distributions from your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457s, those, those accounts that you haven't paid taxes on, you have to start pulling money out. And before you can convert any money from your IRA or 401k to a Roth, you have to take your required minimum distribution out and then convert on top of that. So the golden age is from retirement through age 71. Once you turn 72, it gets a little harder to do. Now, how do you do this, first of all? Well, 
let's say, where is your IRA held? Is that Fidelity, Roth, or Fidelity, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, which has been purchased by Schwab? Um, where is your IRA held? You then open a Roth IRA and then you decide how much to convert. And what that means is I'm going to move money from my IRA to my Roth and I'm just going to pay the taxes on it now at a certain rate because I know my taxes could be higher in the future or my kids' bracket's going to be much higher in the future. And then that money grows tax-free for the rest of your life in the Roth IRA and you can pass it on to your kids and they can enjoy another 10 years worth of growth tax-free. Now, when you move money from an IRA to a Roth, you can do it two ways. You can sell the stuff in the IRA, move the cash over, and then reinvest it. Or you can literally pick and choose assets. Um, for example, you say, hey, I want to move this small cap growth fund that's down, but I love it for the long term. I want to move 50000 of that fund. So you calculate the proper number of shares and you move it over in kind from your IRA to your Roth. So you never are out of the market. The money stays invested. It picks up from your IRA. It moves over what's called in-kind to your Roth IRA. And you get a 1099 at the end of the year showing that that was a taxable event. There are no income limits to convert money from your IRA to a Roth. The IRS is more than happy to take your money. So they let anybody do this right now, right? No matter what your, your income is. Now, if you're trying to just make a contribution to a Roth IRA, there's income limits. But if you're trying to move money from an IRA to a Roth and pay the taxes now, the IRS is all for it right now. Do it. Now, you want to pay the taxes out of cash. You want to make sure if you're going to do this, you've done a couple of things. You have cash to pay the taxes to do it. You've ran a detailed financial plan. And I'm not talking about an online financial calculator. I'm talking about a detailed financial plan with a certified financial planner practitioner that you can look out and say, this is my tax bill each and every year. This is my tax rate, my effective rate at age 72 or after when I have to start taking required minimum distributions. And this is how much money I have left over at age 100 that may go to my kids. So if you have plenty of money left over at age 100, then this is that's something that you need. Okay, that's, that's one of those tests because it's not just about taxes. It's not just about moving from money from an IRA to a Roth just to get tax-free growth. Look, when you're in your 80s and your medical expenses go way up. Sometimes I have to pull more money out of IRAs to get your income up high enough to use those medical expenses if somebody's receiving care. So it's not just about taxes. You have to look at your long-term plan and say, what's left over? Is this a good idea? Am I at a higher bracket later after age 72? Or are my kids at a higher bracket than me? Do I have cash to pay the taxes? All right? And then gifting properly for tax purposes is something I'm going to talk about in the last segment. But a um, couple of things to think about. Note for early retirees, people that are retiring before 65 looking at IRA to Roth conversions, you are on the Affordable Care Act insurance, right? Covered California. You have to think about premium credits. You make large IRA to Roth conversions, it can reduce your premium credits that could be occurring for your healthcare costs. For people that are 63 or older and they're going to get Medicare at age 65, Medicare looks at your taxable income two years prior. So if you make a large IRA to Roth conversion in 2022, in 2024, you could end up paying higher Medicare premiums. A couple of things that you should be asking your financial advisor about or CPA is, let's say you retire and you have no other income sources, but you have highly appreciated stock, especially concentrated stock. You have no other income sources. 
you can have with the way that standard deduction and everything else works, like you can have as a married couple filing jointly, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars of capital gains would be at a zero percent federal rate. So it's not as simple as that, but one of the questions you should be asking, especially if highly concentrated stock positions is, Hey, financial advisor, which should be a certified financial planner practitioner and and fee only fiduciary. um, How much stock can I sell at potentially a 0% rate? And then should I be converting IRA to a Roth? And when you do that, the first step of it is, is I I already mentioned, you got to have a detailed financial plan. You can have money left over. What's your tax bracket's going to be in the future? Don't even bother doing this until you can answer those questions. Then most of the time you look at the tax brackets. And and so for a married couple filing jointly, they know the first $25,900 or their itemized deductions of income is tax-free. So the way it works is you either itemize your deductions or you take a standard deduction and that wipes out your first amount of income. So for single people, that's $12,950. For married people, it's $25,900. Extra fourteen hundred bucks if you're sixty five or older. So that amount of money, if you have income, is wiped out by your standard deduction or your itemized deductions if those are higher. And then the twelve percent bracket goes all the way up to eighty three thousand five hundred and fifty for married filing jointly. That's forty one thousand seven seventy five for a single person. So, for example, if let's say you're after you do all of your deductions. Your taxable income, married filing jointly, is only sixty grand. You might convert twenty three grand of your IRA to your Roth to max out that twelve percent bracket, and because you always know you're going to be at that twelve percent bracket or higher after you're age seventy two, you're taking requirement distributions, so you do a partial IRA to Roth conversion. Married couple filing jointly, you're at the 22% bracket between 83,551 and 178,150. So a person comes in and they're uh, always going to be at the 22% bracket. Their taxable income is 120. We might get that uh, conversion of another $58,000 to max out that 22% bracket. So you're filling in the brackets in retirement because you know that at age 72, you're going to have to start taking money out anyways, and you're likely going to be at a higher bracket and you're going to lose control of your tax bracket. So converting small amounts from your IRA to your Roth, especially when the stock market is down, is a great idea. Again, you have to say, do I have the cash to pay for? What's my overall financial plan look like? How is it going to affect my uh, premium credits if I'm under the age of 65 and over the age of 63 when you're about to be 65 on Medicare? How does that affect my Medicare premiums? So if you make large conversions from your IRA to your Roth or you have a big tax year, the IRS looks at your tax or the Medicare looks at your tax return every two years. And if you're uh, married filing jointly, once your tax return, um, it once your adjusted gross, your modified adjusted gross income, which includes tax-free bonds, goes uh, above 194000 um, and this approximate numbers because it's going to change every year, 97000 if you're single. Once your income starts going above that, you start having to pay higher Medicare premiums. And so you have to have that in consideration of your planning as well. And then for people that happen to be a really low income but taking Social Security, um, they have to worry about how their Social Security is, ta- Social Security is taxed. So there's a lot that goes into 
the planning here. It's not just, hey, let's look at the tax bracket and make the IRA to Roth conversion. Okay, how does it affect your capital gains taxes on your stock that you've held but sold for over, you've held it for over 12 months, but sold it your, your dividends on your US-based stocks in your taxable account? How does it affect your healthcare premiums, your Medicare Part B, your, your family, your estate plan? When, when we see somebody that has a large amount of money that they're gifting to their kids, we might go for a really large IRA to Roth conversion knowing that we're going to have to deal with a rough year of Medicare premiums, um, knowing that uh, they're going to pay a large tax, even above 24% federal and over 9% state. But we're doing it in some cases for estate planning to reduce their taxable estate and leave more money into an account for their kids that's going to grow tax-free for the rest of their lives. That's the advantage. When you move money from an IRA to a Roth, it's going to do a couple of things. It's going to create a tax-free pool of money for you and your kids because it can go to your kids and they can have it in an inherited Roth IRA and, and have tax-free growth for another 10 years. It also reduces the amount you're going... Every dollar that you put into a Roth reduces the amount that you're going to have to pull from your IRAs at age 72 and above where the IRS forces you to take money out. There's no required minimum distributions from Roth IRAs, but you have to start pulling money out of your IRAs at age 72. So it helps you control your bracket in the future. Very, very important of planning, uh, part of planning. So a couple of other things as you get towards the end of the year. Have you, have you been doing your gifting to charity? I run into too many people that gift cash to charity. They're giving away, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars away to charity every year. And they're just writing checks. That's usually the worst way to do it. Typically what you want to do is you want to say, oh, do I have any highly appreciated stock? Maybe I've got Apple stock that I've held for years and I want to give ten thousand to charity. That charity is going to have a brokerage account. You could transfer those shares of Apple in kind over to that charity, get the deduction and then you just realized I could buy back, I can use my cash to buy back Apple at a much higher cost basis and I just wiped out capital gains tax. If you're over 70 and a half, you have the ability to give up to 100 grand a year right out of your IRA to charity and avoid paying taxes on that IRA money. That's usually the best way to do it for over age 70 and a half. If you're gifting to charity, but you're not itemizing your deductions, you might want to look at opening up a donor advised fund and doing 10 years worth of gifting into that so you can get a deduction for it and gift it out slowly over time. There's a whole other show on that one. I'll hit the the gifting, the donor advised funds and all those strategies on another podcast. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me and my team at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com with EP Wealth. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.